had been talking to me for a while now about mercy. And, you know, I've always talked about grace because grace is something that I believe we get to live and pull from now is grace. It's like his, his luxury of his goodness that we pull from now. But, you know, um, the Lord was reminding me of a time in my life of just his great mercy. And sometimes we forget about mercy. We just focus on the grace part. And, um, and it's funny because, you know, we were having a conversation with a family yesterday, and he, and he was talking to me about mercy, but he had no idea this is what we were going to talk about today. And um, <laughs> um, the way mer- the mercy seat was first given was a shadow and a type of what was to come later. So I'm going to take you from back then to a now time and how God has transitioned us as believers for the kingdom of God. Um, in Hebrew, the mercy seat was always about the the corporate or the mercy seat. It was the gold lid placed on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant were the two cherubims beaten out of the ends to create the space into which Yahweh was said to appear there were rituals of the Day of Atonement. I'm pretty sure right now a lot of people are, they've been talking about, you know, the Days of Atonement, um, the once a year where you go behind the veil and you have this great encounter with the whole, in the holies of holies, right? <laughs> we're all familiar with this. We go to Exodus 25. We're going to read from 17 to 20. And this is what mercy looked like then. Then um, he gave specific directions how to create the Ark of the Covenant. This makes the Ark's cover the place of atonement from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and then make two cherubims from hammered gold and place them on two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. And the cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they will protect it. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I have given to you. Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark, and I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant of the covenant from there i will give you my commands for the people of israel this was a time where they created something in the natural something of the natural that they could literally like pete was saying this morning apostle pete was talking about it being tangible this is the place where they could enter in and have an encounter and, the, and they would get this blood of what their sacrifice was and spread it, sprinkle it seven times upon the Ark of the Covenant. And this was supposed to come and give us forgiveness at that time for sin that was done for the people of Israel. And it was a very deep process. I mean, if, it was a very long process process is what it was you had to go through all these things and not just anybody could go there not just anybody could go into the holies of holies 
Only specific people could go there because if you were not right with God, you would die if you were to try to go behind that veil. Um, the three things that were stored in there was the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments. If you go on reading later, like even when Solomon actually obtained the Ark of the Covenant back, all that was left in there was the Ten Commandments, which is crazy, right? But there was a process that God began to take the people through um, and teaching them of what was to come. He was preparing the body of Christ. And he was like, look, I'm going to show you in the natural. It's just a shadow. It's just a type for you to begin to understand of what I'm sending in the future. The prophets, the prophetic people, they were talking about these things. They were talking about how this was going to come. Um, everything has been done out of a prophetic voice to even a now time. They were prophesying about Jesus. They were talking about that there was one that was going to come. They were going through this whole process. And so um, <laughs> I believe this is where God has us, even as the body is like, um, you know, some of us have grown up with some old patterns in our life, right? Some of these patterns we grew up with were not good for us. There were patterns that our mother and our father and our cousins and our uncles and our aunts, they taught us these patterns, um, some of it was religious patterns. It was protocols. Like it was like you just did it because you did it. It was a. It was a. Um, and I, I believe that this was a, a good start for the people of Israel. But this is not the fulfillment yet. And so God comes in in Hebrews nine. I want to read the whole thing because we could just turn there to Hebrews nine. This is such an important part of as believers where there is a transition that happened and we're so blessed to have this transition that happens in Hebrews 9. Without this transition that happened, we would not be able to pull from mercy today. And so um, I'm reading out of the Passions Translation because I love the way that they have put this. Um, you can read it in, in what you have in your in your Bibles, but um, it talks about, in the passions, the old pattern of worship and the heavenly pattern of worship. And, and this is where the transition comes for us as believers that was so powerful. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, in the first covenant, there were specific rules for worship, including a sanctuary on earth to worship in. And when you entered the tabernacle, the tabernacle, you would first come into the holy chamber where you would find the lampstand and the bread of his presence on the fellowship table. Then as you pass through the next curtain, you would enter into the innermost chamber called the holiest sanctuary of all. It was contained the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant mercy which was a wooden box covered entirely with gold and placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. Mercy was the golden jar with mystery manna inside. Aaron's resurrection rod, which had sprouted, and the stone tablets engraved the covenant laws. On the top of the list of the Ark were two cherubims, angels of splendor. I love the way that says that, angels of splendor with outstretched wings overshadowing the throne of mercy 
But now is not the time to discuss further the significant details of these things. So with this prescribed pattern of worship, the priest would routinely go in and out of the first chamber to perform their religious duties. And the high priest was permitted to enter into the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year, and he would never enter without first offering sacrificial blood for both his own sins and the sins of the people. So once a year, he was allowed to do this, once a year. And he would go in there, and he would represent the people of Israel And there was blood that was shed seven times, seven meaning the completion. It was the completion of their sins that was being done at this moment. That once a year, he got to go behind the veil. Other than that, they were doing like regular everyday work, cleaning it, making sure things were moving good and things were being done. Now, the Holy Spirit uses, we're on verse eight now. Now, the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of the pattern of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not yet been unveiled. For as long as the tabernacle stood, it was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment, demonstrating that offerings and annual sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food, drink, and ceremonial washings, which are imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration had arrived. It's a point of a heart restoration. It was no longer, I'm going to do this because it's a ritual. I'm going to do this because this is what I was taught. Um, It's funny because I I remember this story a friend of mine shared one time, and uh, she she was baking something. And as she's baking this, this product that she's baking, she had these special pans that her mom gave her. And so she's baking this, and she can't find her pan, so she's in panic mode, like, I need this pan to bake this certain thing. So her husband says, well, I'll go out to the store, and I'll go buy you another pan. Not a big deal, nothing to stress about, get you another pan. And she says, no, 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 I need this particular pan because if I don't have it, it's not going to come out the same, right? Some of us have been there before with things our mothers, our aunts, things have given us, right? Or a certain way we've been taught. So her husband comes up to her and tells her, "Uh, a question. I have a question for you. Why do you do it this way? Well, my mother did it this way. She used this exact pan, and because she did it this exact way and used this exact pan, this is the way that I was taught to do it. And he says, so there's no specific reason why you do this. Like, there's not a reason why you go through this process. Nothing like, she goes, no, it's just my mom did it, so I do it, right? How many of us can relate to that, right? (laughs) This is what the people were doing. They were doing rituals. They were doing things that they were taught to do. Some people to today are still doing rituals, things they were taught to do as they were growing up. I grew up Catholic. There was lots of traditional things that we were taught to do. And then I came to know the Lord, and I came to know the other side of the cross, that I was no longer a beggar, 
at this side of the cross where he was crucified, but I was able to go to the other side of the cross where there was glory and there was so much more to gain from the crossing on the other side of the cross. See, those were patterns that we have to begin to break, not only with us and our families, but even in the region here. I've seen it so much in this region. So this is a crossing over, okay? So we're going from the old patterns to the heavenly pattern of worship now. We are on verse 11. This is, uh, we're still on Hebrews 9:11. But now the anointed one has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come. For he serves in a greater, more perfect heavenly tabernacle, not made by man. And he has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. Let's read this again. He has made our salvation forever. Forever, 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 right? Nothing told covenant. The blood of bulls, goats, and ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled and effectively cleansed them outwardly from their um, ceremonial impurities. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? For by the power of the eternal spirit, he has offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice that now frees us with freedom, freedom in this place, freedom in the spirit right? that frees us from our dead works. Works are dead. <laughs> they're good, but they're dead. <laughs> works are dead. I will repeat that over and over again because the religious mindset will feel that you have to do works. There's something you have to do. You have to, you have to do this more. You have to, and there's just this long list that you have to meet. And God says, works are dead to worship and serve the living God. So Jesus is the one who has intacted a new covenant, a new pattern, <laughs> with a new relationship with God so that those who accept the invitation will re receive the eternal inheritance he has promised to his heirs. We are his heirs. We have that promise. For he died to release us from the guilt of the violations committed under the first covenant. How many of us battle and struggle with guilt? I'm just being transparent and real. When you've done something, you've made a mistake, immediately the enemy comes to make you feel horrible. Like, I've ruined it. I remember when I first got saved, I would have a bad day, and I would mess up a little bit, and then here comes the enemy. Well, you already messed up, so you might as well just throw your day away. You might as well just live sinfully and do everything you want to do in sin at this point because you messed up. I, it, it sounds dumb when you talk about it outwardly but these are the things the enemy comes and tempts you with and lies to you in deception about out of feeling this con like it's it's not god it's not the lord and then let, let's reread this it says 
For he died to release us from the guilt of the violations committed under his first covenant. If you're living with guilt, you do not have to live with guilt anymore. You are free from guilt. I just felt like <laughs> I just felt like some of y'all needed to hear that this morning. You are free from guilt. Now, a person last will will and testament can only take effect after one has been proven to have died. Otherwise, the will cannot be enforced while the person who's made it is still alive. So this is why not even the first covenant was integrated without the blood of animals. For Moses ratified the covenant after he gave the people all the commandments of the law. He took the blood of calves, goats, and water, scarlet wool, and a hibiscus branch, and sprinkled both the people and the book of the covenant, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commands you to keep. And later, Moses also sprinkled the tabernacle with blood, and every utensil and item used for their service of worship, actually nearly everything under the law, was purified Enter unto the earth's tabernacle made by man, which was but an echo of the true sanctuary. But he entered into heaven itself to appear before the face of God in our place. Riboshiti, right? <laughs> Under the old system year after year and the year and high priest entered the most highly sanctuary with blood that was not his own. But the Messiah did not need to repeatedly offer himself year after year. For that would mean he must suffer repeatedly ever since the fall of the world. Why do we repeatedly do that to ourselves? Makes you wonder, right? How how rooted we are, right? How where we're at with God. But he didn't need to repeat it and offer himself year after year, for that would mean he must suffer repeatedly ever since the fall of the world. But now he has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages to abolish sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. Every human being is appointed to die once and then to face God's judgment. But when we die, we will be face to face with Christ. And the one who experienced death once for all to bear the sins of many and now to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to bring us the fullness of salvation. Right now, the enemy is going rampant to a lot of people and making you feel horrible about yourself. And here comes God. And he is the blood of all. All bloods that is shed that is more powerful than any kind of animal they could have sacrificed on the Ark of the Covenant. I remember when I first came to know the Lord, you know, I was I was I was taught that being Catholic. I was taught like 
works. I was taught that you had to keep coming and begging for forgiveness and begging for forgiveness. And I would come to the altar. And, uh, you know, yesterday I had a moment with the Lord. And the Lord's like, remember when you used to come to the altar? And I would literally throw myself on the ground at the altar over and over and over and over again. And every time there was an altar car, I would run to the altar. And I would run to the altar. Any moment that I, I could get to make myself right with him because I felt it was a to-do matter, I would always go to it because I was like, God, I'm so unclean. I'm so impure because this is what I was taught growing up that I could never match up with my heavenly father. And here he comes saying in Hebrews 9 how his blood comes and covers all of those sins on us and and purifies us with his blood that we no longer look the same to the Lord anymore. Once you've received the fullness of salvation, the salvation from God, his blood comes and covers you, and then he doesn't look at you the same. And we don't have to live with this guilt anymore day after day. It becomes a torment in our lives every day when you live that way. But when you, it doesn't mean that you don't go back to God and repent. It doesn't mean that you don't go back to God to make things right. But you don't stay there. You don't live there. You don't pull from that place. You pull from mercy. You pull from seated in mercy. See, the religious mindset cannot wrap itself around mercy. They will keep trying and trying to come and match something that's already been done, and they'll never happen. And God comes in, and he's like, that's already been done. It's already written in heaven. I went to heaven. I made a place for the real mercy seat to come through the heavenlies. Leave your old patterns behind. Grab the heavenly pattern of worship, and let's begin a transition and move forward and pull everybody with you to that place of the new worship and the new patterns God has for you that you no longer have to to live with the old patterns even things that you were taught growing up even the way of your belief system it can change if you allow it to change where does the change happen right here right in your mind that's where it happens because you have to believe that what is said in the word of God is true that his blood came out of mercy for us And he laid himself down for us that we did not have to live in torment anymore. Hebrews 4.14. Give you a moment to go there real quick. God is in transition mode in our spirit right now. He really is. He doesn't want us to live that way no more. You know, we, I bet you some of you still have family that still lives that way. And when you go to them for counsel, that's how they counsel you. They counsel you with, with that stick. And God's like, you're going to the wrong people for counsel because if they don't understand the transition of the patterns that have already happened, then you're, you're receiving the wrong counsel. I've heard too many terrible, disgusting things that are coming from pastors and pulpits and leaders right now blow my mind. 
because that's not the God that I know. The God that I know, when I came every time to throw myself on that floor and I begged for forgiveness and I asked God to come and remove the impurities that I was carrying in such a dark place that I know he showed up every single time. Every single time he showed up. And I was never left there alone. He would come and meet me at that place just like they did in the Ark of the Covenant. But the, the, the difference was they could only go there once a year. The difference is now we can go there every day if we want to. That's the difference. We can have this encounter with God and meet him at the mercy seat and say, God, I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm, I don't have it all together. But because of the blood you shed for me that I can pull from that well of mercy. You know, I started thinking about the woman at the well. She was not a perfect person. But what? What was the significance of him being at the well, right? Give me a drink of water, right? Speaking to her from a place of not seeing her how she was, but speaking to her from a place of where she was going to be. Because he saw her purpose and her destiny and where she was going to be at. That's how God sees each one of you, even those that are watching. He sees you already walking in your purpose. He sees you already walking in your destiny. He already sees the dreams that he has in the book that is written upon your life, in the heavenlies. It's just up to us to stretch our arms up sometimes and pull it down from heaven and grab it for ourselves to begin to walk in it. It's that simple. Oh, she that abashity, right? Hebrews 4.14, Christ is our high priest. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. We've got to believe this. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. God doesn't know how dark I am. God doesn't know the sin I'm in. God doesn't know this. God doesn't know that. And then he doesn't, he doesn't know, oh, my God, I'm just so terrible, right? This is the process we go through in our thoughts. And it says, the, this high priest of our understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of gracious God, and there we will be received with his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. See, those moments when you make a mistake and you fail, you pull from grace. And you say, God, can you please send me some grace down? Can you grace me to do the assignment you've given me? Can you, uh, can you grace me to begin to walk in more of who you are? And you pull from the wells that have already been established from, for us in the Lord. I want to read you the, uh, the Passion's translation of that because it's so good the way they put it. So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us and our family. He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and he conquered sin. We're more than conquerors, right? That's what it says in Romans. 
So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. These are wells you can pull from. I was listening to this song yesterday by Kim Clement, and a lot of people have been sharing a lot of his things on Facebook, but he was a worshiper and a prophet who was very well known. And he sings this song, and it just spoke volumes to me. And it says, let my hands forget this skill. That oh, wrecked me. Just that part wrecked me. Because we, we sometimes focus so much on our gifting that we, we should come to God and say, God, let these hands forget this skill. My tongue be silent, cold, and still. This bounding heart forget to beat if I forget your mercy seat. I will not forget your sacrifice. I will not forget your pain and your tears. And I will not forget the day you touched my life. Let me tell you something. People get into ministry and they receive titles and they forget the very place they came from. And they forget how broken they were and how much darkness they were in. That now they, they carry themselves like they are Christ themselves and they are not. They still have sin in their lives. They still are not perfect. So guess what? We have to come and never forget about mercy. Because mercy is just not for the people that are living in sin. Mercy is for all of us because all of us are sinners All of us have sinned before, and we probably still sin till today in things that we don't even realize that we sin in. So we need mercy. We need his mercy. We can't forget where we came from. James 2.13 talks about, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. So that means we should never judge one another. We should never judge one another. We should never um, come and have an opinion or uh, have our own thoughts about somebody else because mercy triumphs over judgment. I always tell people, you know, the Lord lately has been telling me, extend mercy to them. Extend mercy to people who talk bad about you. Extend mercy to them who, who, who don't know any better. Extend mercy to them that have cursed you. Extend mercy to them because mercy is given to us to pull from. Matthew 5, 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We've got to be merciful to one another. It's important. And the more merciful we are to one another in our mistakes, the greater mercy we can begin to pull from that well for ourselves when we need it. Hebrews 4, 16, so let us come. Okay, I read that one already. I'll go ahead and skip that one. 1 Peter 1, 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and now we live in great expectation. We've got to come expecting to church, guys. We've got to get up in the morning and have an expectation of God 
that he's going to do something great in your life. You've got to come pulling from that well of great expectation and not get up in the morning and be sad and depressed and think that it's going to be the worst day ever. It's going to be such a bad day. There's power in your words. Either you're going to agree with darkness or you're going to agree with light. Either you're going to agree with heaven or you're going to agree with your old patterns. Or you're going to start agreeing with your heavenly patterns. Psalms 103. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. This is one of David's songs. (laughs) Let all that I am praise the Lord with all my heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. And he redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. And my, my youth is renewed like the eagle's. He crowns you with love and tender mercies. You know, some of you don't even think you're worthy sometimes of the crown that we are given by the Lord. And God's coming and he's saying, yeah, you're you're a king. You are a priest of the most high. Why? Because of what I did. Because there's value in my blood. There's value in you because he created each and every one of you that now he's going to come crown you with his tender love and his love and his mercies. His tender mercies. Isn't that beautiful? Tender means like soft, caressing. Like that's the way I envision it, that his love, like just loving on you and puts this beautiful crown on your head and says, you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live in the old patterns. Lamentations 3.22 through 23. Of the Lord never ends. Let me repeat that to you again. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great in his faithfulness, his mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Tomorrow when you get up, know that his mercies are new. And you need to begin to speak to yourself in the morning and say, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. If you're becoming hopeless right now, we're in a season where there's a lot of hopelessness right now. People have lost loved ones. We're dealing with this whole COVID thing. We're dealing with people locking themselves up in their houses. We're dealing with loss of hope across the board on our nation. But God says, The Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. You pull hope from heaven. You pull hope from the heavenly pattern of worship. You begin to pull things from the Lord to yourself. And you don't have to stay the same anymore. God has made a way for each and every one of us to come and pull for mercy. 
the one thing that the Lord really showed me um, during the process of talking to me about mercy was I began to see our place here. And I began to see the, the sanctuary area of our church here. And I began to see, like, mercy as a tangible thing. I began to see mercy like this liquid form, like ooey and gooey liquid form, stretch itself across the front of this place here. And the Lord began to tell me, he says, when people come in there, let your place be known for mercy. That when they walk up to the front, there is no judgment. There is no, I'm better than you, or I've never sinned before, or I look better than you, or whatever you thought your thoughts are sometimes of people. No, the thing is, is that they're here for mercy. There are people in dark places, and they are broken. And when I was in a dark place and I was broken, all I needed was his mercy. That's why I kept coming, running to the altar. That's why I kept coming. And, and it, sometimes nothing would happen. But I just did it by faith. I ran up to the altar. And I said, God, um, you know, I don't understand. I didn't know the word of God. I didn't know anything at this time. I didn't know about the, the, the word of God and what he spoke about mercy. I didn't even understand mercy. But I knew that there was something there that he had for me. That in my darkness, in my darkest times of my life, that I could come and I could come up to the altar and I could begin to receive from the Father of what he had for me. And I wasn't trying to figure it out. I was desperate. I was in a desperate place in my life and I needed so much breakthrough that I just kept running to the altar. I have this friend and he would go do these crusades in other countries. Have you ever seen a crusade in another country? What is the one thing they do when they're preached the gospel of God? They come running to the altar. They are not like us. They don't sit there and contemplate in their mind well, I don't know, Lord, what are they going to think about me? Well, I don't know, Lord, maybe they're going to look at me differently because I'm up there at the altar. Uh, what are they going to think of me if I'm answering an altar call? What are they going to think of me if, uh, you know, they know that I haven't been living right? What are they going to, how are they going to see me? These are the thoughts that run through our mind. But yet here comes Jesus with, I just saw the Lord with open arms and mercy. And I believe that's what people see in these crusades all around the world in the different nations. They see God's hands spread wide from this side to this side and running to the Lord. They're running into his hands, into his arms. They're coming running desperately because what they've done in their old patterns has not worked. And they're ready to receive the new patterns of heaven in their worship. And they understand in their spirit that there's something more there God wants to give them. So what do they do? When you're desperate and you need a breakthrough, guess what? You're going to come running to the altar. You're going to come running. If you've been in a dark place and you haven't had it together and the enemy's been pulling you around like a ball and chain, guess what? You're going to come running to the altar. 
because you're going you're gonna to need this forgiveness that God has for you. You're going to need the goodness he has for you. You're going to need everything he has for you that man can never give you. That's why man couldn't build the covenant. That's why man couldn't build the Ark of the Covenant. It, man had nothing to do. Let me repeat this. Man had nothing to do with what God did for you and what he paid for you. So don't let man hold you back anymore. Because man has nothing to do with your purpose and your destiny and where God wants to take you. You strip all those words off. You strip off those wounds off. And you come to the altar and you receive. This morning we were in worship and I saw people bringing up buckets. And I began to ask the Lord, I said, what are these buckets? He said, well, they're buckets to to get an increase of mercy. You come up here and you receive your mercy this morning. Whatever, any little thing that you're battling in your mind, any little thing you're battling in your mind, any little thing you're struggling with right now, mercy's here this morning. And he wants you, and maybe you're okay. Maybe you're like, man, I'm good. You know, I don't need no mercy. I'm good. You know, I, I live as best as I can live, and I'm right with God. Well, you've already went somewhere else already. I'll take the mercy. I'll take the bucket. I'll take the renewal of mercy. I'll take the increase of mercy. Because the mercy you're getting this morning isn't just for yourself. It's for your family members who don't know God. It's for, it's for the people who you love that are lost and broken who you're going to see on the street. It's for, you want to talk about outreach and going out. You're going to need a bucket of mercy when you go out there. Because let me tell you, they're not going to understand religion, and they're not going to receive religion. They're going to shut the door in your face. But when you bring a bucket of mercy to them, and you say, you know, I was where you were at one time. And because of mercy and the blood that God shed, I'm able to extend this mercy that you can stick your hands in it. And it can be real to you. And you can pull mercy into you. And you can be one with God. And his blood came. And more than seven times, he has sprinkled that blood for your life, for your purpose, for your destiny. More than seven times, he's come and done it over and over and over and over again. Every time you messed up, every time you were broken, every time you went the wrong direction, every time you got off your path, here comes mercy extended to you every single time. And he says, come on baby I got more mercy for you you don't have to live with guilt anymore there's this song that we're gonna play right now and let me tell you when I first heard this song it brought me to my knees so many times and pulling mercy from the Lord but I want you to come up and receive from the Lord and fill your buckets up because when you're having a bad day you think that you've lost your mercy when really you haven't So bring your buckets up this morning and get the increase. Get your buckets filled with the mercy God's extending out to us. Because people who walk in that door, they're going to need our buckets of mercy when they come in. Thank you, Jesus.